Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. How are we all doing? Good. I'll just clear a few tubes. Hang on a minute. The, the prayer and fasting thing, I think, is really significant. Um, you see a few times in Scripture when um, the disciples prayed for somebody and nothing happened, and, and they said, what's going on, Jesus? And Jesus said, this type of situation is only resolved through prayer and fasting. So there's something about fasting, something about the denial of the self that somehow moves the hand of God. We don't fully understand why that is, uh, but where, there's, where we uh, are prepared to, to basically... Um, when it costs us, then something happens in the heavenlies. I remember in the scriptures again, David said, I, you know, I won't bring to God an offering which costs me nothing. I won't give to God something which costs me nothing. I want to give to God something which costs me. There's a, there's a transactional element to it. And um, so when we talk about half nights of prayer, we all go, oh my goodness. And when we talk about fasting, and our flesh goes, no way, thank you. I like my comfort. I like my, I like my um, to keep things as they are. There's a, there's a transactional piece that takes place when we are prepared to, to basically give to God something which costs us. So if you've never prayed into the night before, why not come and have a go? The worst that will happen is you'll fall asleep, okay? And we'll gently wake you up. It's no, it's no bad thing to fall asleep in the presence of God anyway. But, um, you know, don't look at these things and think, well, they're just mountains that are too high for me to climb. If you've never fasted, why not think about fasting a meal or fasting uh, a part of your diet or fasting... Um, TV or fasting social media. Think about something that you could do that actually would enter into this process. I'm going to give something to God. I'm going to offer something to God and actually to see God move in a more powerful way. We don't know why Jesus replied to those disciples. This type only come out. He was talking about a demonized boy. They couldn't deliver the boy. And Jesus said, this type only come out with prayer and fasting. And he prayed and the boy was delivered. So something about the life of Jesus was a fasted life. It was a life that was lived in offering to God continually, and that enabled him to have tremendous power when it came to ministering to situations. So if you want to see more of God in your life, you want to see more effective prayer in your life, it's going to cost you something. Amen? 2019, what are you going to give to God this year that's going to help him move more effectively in your life and in the life of the people around you? So we're starting Great Love. This is a series really just to try and help us at the start of the year bed into the amazing, wonderful, incredible, unconditional love of God that we should be seated in, we should be standing on, we should be securing uh, as we approach this new year. This new year might be full of opportunities, challenges, exoles. We need to be seated in the love of God. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at God's character today and then God's love for us expressed through the gospel and then God's love in us and now God actually changes us through his love inside us. But I want to pray first of all, before we start, for a fresh deposit of God's love into our hearts. Um, I don't know what your Christmas has been like, probably tiring, probably stressful to a degree, probably enjoyable. Um, As we enter the year, we can feel a little bit flat. We can feel a little bit like post-Christmas. I want right at the start of the year to ask for God to put a fresh deposit of love into us as his church. In Luke 11, uh, Jesus spoke about the natural love that parents have for their children. And he said, if a father, if your son asks for a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake. If he asks for an egg, you wouldn't give him a scorpion. And if then, if natural fathers, limited as they are, are prepared to do lovely things for their kids, 
how much more does our Father in heaven want to do for us? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, if you're comfortable, close your eyes this morning and open your hands. We did an exercise before Christmas in our reflective service. We did a thing called hands down, hands up. And what we did, we turned our hands down. You can do it with me now if you want to. And you can sort of give to God all the stresses and the cares and the tiredness and the things that are weighing heavy on your heart. And you can give them to God now with your hands down. Imagine them being released from you. Saying, Father, would you just lift off anything from me, God? Any heavy yoke, Father? Anything that's oppressing me or weighing me down or worrying me? Any anxiety, any fear, any insecurity? Lord, we just, we just, we just let that all fall away now. And just turn your hands, palms up, and we just say, Lord, would you now fill me with your spirit afresh today? How much more will you give the spirit to those who ask? So we ask, Lord, for a fresh deposit of your spirit today into our lives, a fresh deposit of your love. And it's beautiful to see the Holy Spirit resting on you this morning, to see the Holy Spirit resting on his children. And so, Lord, we ask for that deposit of your love that goes beyond our understanding, deep into who we are, right at the start of this year, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this series, Great Love, why the life ring? Well, God's whole plan for humanity, his whole redemptive plan, his whole rescue plan is motivated by one thing. What's that? Love's the right answer. John 3.16, the most famous verse in your Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Not for God was so angry with the world, not God was so frustrated with the world, not God was so tired of the world, not God was so fed up of the world, God so loved the world. Love is the primary motivator of the character of God. God is not angry with you this morning. God is not upset with you this morning. God is not disappointed in you this morning. God loves you this morning because that is the very essence of who his character is. It's the core attribute of his character. 1 John 4.8 says, God is love. God is love. Not even God loves. God is love. So any love that you experience in your life, any love that you feel for other people, for yourself is a fraction of a deposit of the nature of God that has been placed within you. You're made in the image of God. And part of that image is the fact that God is love. So the love that you feel, the love that you receive, the love that you express, is a deposit, a down payment of God's character within you. But it is only a tiny, tiny, tiny piece of the heart of God, of the love of God. So if you think you're a great lover, or you've got a lot of love in your life, it's only very small compared, in essence, to who God is, because God is the source of all love in the universe. God, they've studied his attributes, his character that's revealed in the Bible. And some of God's attributes uh, are shared with us, and some of God's attributes aren't shared with us. So you can think of it looking a little bit like this. There's us, there's God, and we overlap in terms of some of the characteristics that we carry together. Now, the qualities that God shares with us, I've got a fancy name, they're called his communicable attributes. Say communicable attributes. Communicable. <laughs> Bit of a tongue twister. But they're the, 
the parts of God's character that are essentially commuted or communicated to us. Can anybody think of some of the attributes of God that are communicated or that we share with him? Compassion, Compassion yeah. Creativity. Creativity. Justice. Justice. <coughs> exactly. These are the, actually, I'll put a few down here for you. Goodness, mercy, justice. These are the communicable attributes of God, the attributes of God that God shares with us, that we have a sense of understanding with. Now, some aspects of God's character, they're not shared with us. Guess what these are called? The incommunicable attributes of God. (laughs) Just to make it even harder this morning. The incommunicable. Anybody think of an incommunicable attribute of God, something that is not shared with us, that is in God's character? He's omnipotent, which means... For those who don't know, he's all-powerful. He's omniscient. What does that mean? He's all-knowing. Any more oms? Omnipresent. Got lots of oms in God's incommunicable attributes. I've put some easier ones down. He's eternal. He's unchanging. He's omnipresent. It means he's, he's everywhere. These are parts of God's character that he doesn't share with us. These are the bits of God that we sometimes struggle to understand because they're so otherly to who we are. We are not eternal. We're not unchanged. Even though to some degree we reflect a little bit of these elements in us because this is only a, a, a broad brush way of describing who we are and who God is. And you can fill in the blanks about your life that's not like God. <laughs> I thought rather than write them on there, you can... You can think of all the ways that you're not like. I can think of plenty of ways that I'm not like God. But love, I think, is interesting because I think it occupies a completely different category. It kind of draws us in more to the heart of God and more of God comes into us. I think a love seems to need its own category when it comes to thinking about how we're like God and how God is like us. 1 John 4, 19 which we've already heard this morning in our prayer room, we love because he first loved us. You know, we love because God loves us. That, that image, that, that mirroring of the fact that we're made like God. So any love that you've... We, it's, it's, I find it really difficult when I talk to someone who doesn't have a faith in God at all, because they say, well, God can't love because of X, Y, and Z. And I have to say to them, well, any love that you feel can only come from one source, because the universe isn't a loving place without God. The universe is a random chaos of physics and drama that we all end up just dying in because if there's, there shouldn't be any love in the universe if there's no God because it's just a whole random chaotic series of elements flying around in space and so it's, it's an oxymoron to say basically you know God can't be a loving God because God is the source of any love that we experience in our own lives he pours out his love into us he pours out his love onto us he's constantly sharing us with his love. And it's the overwhelming characteristic of who he is. Now, if, if you can go over with anything this morning from today's encounter, is that God is love, primarily and firstly. He's not the angry father. He's not the disappointed parent. He's not somebody who's looking to trip you up or wag a finger at you or tick you off when you don't quite measure up to what you think you should be doing. He is love. That is the primary attribute of his character. And because of it, he's always giving himself for the good of others. So when you wake up in the morning, God is pouring his love (laughs) over your life to bless you and for the good of you. And you might look around at your circumstances and think, well, I can't equate that to what I'm currently living in. 
but it doesn't change the truth of who God is. It can't change who God is, because God is love. And God's love is directed towards you. He's fixed his affection upon you, upon me. And his love is being poured forth continually over his creation. His love has been present even before creation. Before the creation of the universe, God's love was present in the Trinity, in the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John 17, 24, My glory, speaking to his Father, which you have given me in your love for me before the foundation of the world. The community of love that's expressed in the Godhead was happening before the very creation of the world. God's love was being expressed within himself. I'll pop these on the screen for you. And again, John three thirty-five: The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Again, the expression of love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And one more for you there. The Father loves the Son. Sorry, I do as the Father has commanded me, so the world may know I love the Father. And so we've got this incredible community of love that's taken place for all eternity within the Trinity. There's eternal love that's happening there. I'm just going to pause a moment and just explain briefly a little bit about the Trinity because it's quite a big concept. So we're going to touch into it briefly so we understand more about that. People often think that God's lonely and he needs you to love him. So he was lonely, he was doing the equivalent of an internet sort of search, trying to find someone to match up with, and he found you and thought, well, you're all going to make him happier because he's a bit lonely, he needs someone to love him, so basically he came to you. No, okay? God's love is is complete within himself and has been for all eternity. He doesn't need your love to make him feel better. Okay? He doesn't need your love to make him feel loved. He is loved within himself. He is the source of love he is love, but he chooses to extend that love to you and I. The Bible says that God's a triune God. He's a, he's a, he's a trinity God. Okay? It teaches us three, these three things. God's three persons. Each person's fully God. And there's one God. Confusing, I know. Okay? God's three persons. Each person's fully God. And there's one God. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in community together as this triune God. So a few things that God isn't. He's not three parts. That's wrong, okay? So if you think about God as being three parts, he's not three parts, okay? That's called modalism. It was a heresy that started in the early church. It's not, it's not true. So when people say God's like ice, water, and steam, he's not. Okay, so don't believe that. It's rubbish, okay? God's... Not like three windows looking at the same person. You don't look into the Father window, the Son window, the Holy Spirit window, into one God. That's equally wrong, okay? That's not what God is, okay? God is this. Three distinct persons, and each person is equal to the whole of God. Mind-bending, isn't it? Okay? We can do a little exercise, okay? Let's try and get our heads around that, okay? Close your eyes for a moment. Think about something, okay? Think about an object, okay? You all think about an object, okay? So now you are the subject doing the thinking about the object, okay? You all got your object fixed in your thoughts? Okay, now swap out your object for yourself. So you are now the subject 
and the object. Yeah? You're thinking about yourself. How are we doing so far? Now here comes the tricky bit. Step back in your mind and reflect on yourself thinking about yourself. You're managing to do that? That gives you a tiny window into the community of the Trinity. Because <laughs> God has placed within us the ability to do things like that. That we can reflect on ourselves thinking about ourselves. Okay, relax. You're all screwing your face up. <laughs> Bit of mental gymnastics there for you, but it gives you a tiny insight into how you did. You were the object, you were the subject, and you were the reflective thoughts. They were all you, and they were all separate. Yeah? And so God is this incredible community of love that lives together. And the extraordinary thing about the gospel is that God invites you into that community. That's the most incredible thing about the gospel, is that God invites you into that community of love. It's the best invitation you're ever going to get. God invites you into that community of perfect love. Jesus prays this prayer right at the end of his time on the earth in John 17. And he he says this, My prayer is not for them alone. He's prayed for his disciples. So he's now extending his prayers to everybody Will believe in him, everybody who will trust in him. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message, that all of them may be one, just as you are me are one, and I am in you. He's praying about the Father. May, also, may they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given the glory you have given me, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and you have loved them even as you've loved me. It's an incredibly powerful prayer of Jesus that is inviting every believer, every follower of Jesus into the community of love that exists in the Trinity. Isn't that extraordinary? You and I get to be part of this eternal community of love that has existed before the creation of the universe. John Altberg, he describes it like this. He says, we've been invited into this, the Trinity's fellowship of love. When Jesus prays for us to be invited into the divine circle, it's not a casual request. There's an enormous price to be paid for our admittance. The Son will go to the cross. The Father, who has known nothing from all eternity but perfect intimacy with the Son, will see his beloved suffer the anguish and alienation of sin. The Spirit will come to earth and allow himself to be quenched and grieved by human beings. At enormous cost to every member of the Trinity, you and I have been welcomed to the eternal circle to be held in the heart of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Isn't that extraordinary? This is what the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were prepared to do to allow you and I to enter into that complete perfection of love that exists in the Trinity. If I can get any gravitas into your heart today about the gospel and the nature of the gospel and the nature of the Father's love, you can reflect on words like this. that The invitation to you did not come cheaply. The Father didn't need your love. But he chose to give of himself so fully 
that you and I could be drawn into this incredible eternal circle of love that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. So when we think about nights of prayer, when we think about fasting, nothing you and I can do can any way measure up in terms of cost that we can offer to God. Amen? You know, because he's done so much, so much to draw us in to his perfect love. God so wants to have a relationship with you and I. He's so fixed his heart and affection upon you that he's prepared to go to these lengths to allow you into the community of love that exists in the Trinity. And as that love gets into us, as we receive it, it changes us, it transforms us, it seeps into us, it expands us. We get caught up in this incredible circle of love that exists in God's heart. But most of us, we still struggle to believe that God loves us. Amen? We still struggle to believe that God accepts us unconditionally, that actually his primary heart towards us is love. We superimpose all sorts of other ideas about what he might be thinking about us or how he feels about us. He's probably disappointed in us because we've not done all the things we said we were going to do when we said we'd follow him. I want to ask Kitty to come and read an excerpt from a book called Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. And it tells the story of a young boy struggling to come to terms with the nature of God. In Flannery O'Connor's short story, The Turkey, the anti-hero and principal protagonist is a little boy named Ruller. He has a poor self-image because nothing he turns his hand to seems to work. At night, in bed, he overhears his parents analysing him. Ruller's an unusual one, his father says. Why does he always play by himself? And his mother answers, how am I to know? One day in the woods, Ruller spots a wild and wounded turkey and sets off in hot pursuit. Oh, if only I could catch it, he cries. He will catch it, even if he has to run it out of state. He sees himself triumphantly marching through the front door of his house with the turkey slung over his shoulder and the whole family screaming, look at Ruller with that wild turkey. Ruller, where did you get that turkey? Oh, I caught it in the woods. Maybe you'd like me to catch you on sometime. But then the thought flashes across his mind. God will probably make me chase that damn turkey all afternoon for nothing. He knows he shouldn't think that way about God, yet that's the way he feels. If that's the way he feels, can he help it? He wonders if he's unusual. Ruller finally captures the turkey when it rolls over dead from a previous gunshot wound. He hoists it on his shoulders and begins his messianic march back through the centre of town. He remembers the things he had thought before he got the bird. They were pretty bad, he guesses. He figures God has stopped him before it's too late. He should be very thankful. Thank you, God, he says. Much obliged to you. This turkey must weigh ten pounds. You were mighty generous. Maybe getting the turkey was a sign, he thinks. Maybe God wants him to be a preacher. He thinks of Bing Crosby and Spencer Tracy as he enters down with town with a turkey slung over his shoulder. He wants to do something for God, but he doesn't know what to do. If anybody were playing the accordion on the street today, he would have given them his dime. It is the only dime he has, but he would give it to them. Two men approach and whistle at the turkey. They yell at some of the men on the corner to look. How much do you think it weighs, they ask. At least ten pounds, Ruller answers. How long did you chase it? About an hour, says Ruller. That's Ruller replies. I'm in a hurry. He cannot wait to get home. 
He wishes he would see somebody begging. Suddenly he prays, Lord, send me a beggar. Send me one before I get home. God has put the turkey here. Surely God will send him a beggar. He knows for a fact God will send him one. Because he's an unusual child, he interests God. Please, one right now. And the minute he says it, an old beggar woman heads straight towards him. His heart stomps up and down in his chest. He springs at the woman, shouting, here, here. He thrusts the dime into her hand and dashes on without looking back. Slowly, his heart calms and he begins to feel a new feeling, like being happy and embarrassed all at the same time. Maybe, he thinks, he will give all his money to her. He feels as if the ground does not need to be under him any longer. Rulla notices a group of country boys shuffling behind him. He turns around and asks generously, You all want to see this turkey? They stare at him. Where did you get that turkey? I found it in the woods. I chased it dead. See, it's been shot under the wing. Let me see, one boy says. Rulla hands him the turkey. The turkey's head flies into his face as the country boy slings it up in the air and over his own shoulder and turns. The others turn with him and saunter away. They are a quarter mile away before Rulla moves. Finally, they are so far away he can't even see them anymore. Then he creeps towards home. He walks for a bit and then, noticing it's dark, suddenly begins to run. And Flannery O'Connor's exquisite tale ends with the words, He ran faster and faster and as he turned up the road to his house, his heart was running as fast as his legs and he was certain that something awful was tearing behind him with its arms rigid and its fingers ready to clutch. In Rulla, many of us Christians stand revealed, naked, exposed. Our God, it seems, is one who benevolently gives turkeys and capriciously takes them away. When he gives them, it signals his interest in us and his pleasure with us. We feel close to God and spurred to generosity. When he takes them away, it signals his displeasure and rejection. We feel cast off by God. He's fickle, unpredictable, whimsical. He builds us up only to let us down. He remembers our past sins and retaliates by snatching the turkeys of health, wealth, inner peace, progeny, empire, success and joy. And so we unwittingly project onto God our own attitudes and feelings towards ourselves. As Blaise Pascal wrote, God made man in his own image and man returned the compliment. Thus, if if, if we feel hateful towards ourselves, we assume that God feels hateful towards us. But we cannot assume that he feels about us the way we feel about ourselves, unless we love ourselves compassionately, intensely and freely. In human form, Jesus revealed to us what God is like. He exposed our projections for the idolatry that they are and gave us the way to become free of them. It takes a profound conversion to accept that God is relentlessly tender and compassionate towards us, just as we are, not in spite of our sins and faults. That would not be total acceptance, but with them. Though God does not condone or sanction evil, he does not withhold his love because there is evil in us. Because of how we feel about ourselves, it's sometimes difficult to believe this. As numerous Christian authors, wiser and more insightful than I, have said, we cannot accept love from another human being when we do not love ourselves, much less accept that God could possibly love us. Thanks, Kim. I read that story about 20, over 20 years ago, and that picture of the turkey being snatched away is, is such a powerful image. And yet for many of us, that's how we see God. 
God is this fickle, whimsical character that one day might love us and bless us, another day might choose to withhold that blessing or hold something out to us and then snatch it away. Over the um, Christmas period, I read a book called um, Circe. It's by Madeline Miller. It's the top fantasy novel uh, this year from Goodreads, and it's about the Greek gods. And um, I like to read about other gods as well as... No, I'm just joking. A bit of fantasy I do like reading. <clears throat> Fantastic book, really well written, but incredible insight into the heart and mind of the Greek thinker around how the gods functioned. Uh, Hermes, who is the god of mischief, he's the messenger of the gods, uh, he says to Circe, who gives better offerings, a miserable man or a happy one? And Circe replies, a happy one, of course. And Hermes says, wrong. A happy man is too occupied with his life, but make him suffer, starve his family for a month, and he'll buy you a pure white yearling calf as an offering. Circe said, but surely you must have to reward him eventually, otherwise he will stop offering. And Hermes replies, oh yes, you'd be surprised how long they'll go on. But yes, in the end, it's best to give him something, then he can be happy, and then he can start all over again by making him miserable. And Circe's astounded, she said, so is this how the Olympians, the Greek gods, spend their days, thinking of ways to make men miserable? And for some of us, that Greek thinking is firmly in place when we think about God. We think... We think we're God's plaything, we think we're God's trinket, we think he, he, he messes with us, he, he looks at ways to upset us or to, or to confuse us or to frustrate us or to raise our hopes and dash them again like ruler with his turkey. But that is not the God that we worship. Our God does not change like shifting shadows, it says in James. In fact, James says, if you think you're being tempted by God, you're so far off the mark because there's no evil in God. God cannot change and he cannot change from his character of being love. So regardless of our circumstance, regardless of turkeys coming and going in our lives, we have to remember and anchor into the fact that God is love. And circumstances do not change that fact. Our experience does not change that fact that we come under a loving Heavenly Father who has extended so much of his life and his love towards us as an invitation into that circle of unity. Let's stand together. We're going to invite the kids back in in just a moment to do communion together. So if you've got children, you will need to go and sign them out in a moment and bring them back in and then keep them with you when we take communion together. I want us to pray right at the start of this year that love... God's love is the thing that goes deep into who we are. It's the thing that transforms us. It's the thing that changes us. It's the thing that enables us to live from a completely different place to where most people are living from. You don't need to earn God's love. You don't need to do anything to receive God's love apart from open your heart to him today. If you're here today, you've not received Christ into your heart. His love is for you. His love is for you. And you can open your heart to him. And I want to pray a prayer from Ephesians that Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus. And I'm going to pray this prayer over us. So I'm going to close your eyes. And Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, 
may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within you and me, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, Lord, that's our heart's cry at the start of this year, Lord God, that we would know just how deep and wide, how extensive your love is for us. And, God, I just pray if our thinking drifts towards you being a fickle God or a whimsical God, God, that your love would be the primary thing that we come back to, that you love us with an unquenchable love, and your heart is for us, God. We bless you this morning. Amen. So, parents, go now and sign your children out. If you've got kids in kids' work, that would be great. I'm going to have just a two-minute uh, chat time so you can just basically turn and say hi to me. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.